Welcome to another edition of the Yes Network podcast, Curtain Call, five-star podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. I'm Michael Kay, along with my friend and colleague, David Cohn. David, how you doing? Doing great, Michael. How's it going? Things are going well. I think what we're going to do now, we're, we're the rare guests that are going to introduce the host of the show, which is kind of new, right? So I like it. Why not? Let's the stars do it. of Curtain Call, John J. Filippelli and Kevin Sullivan. Hey, guys. How are you, Michael? How are you, David? Very well. Good. Only on Curtain Call can we do it like that. I like that. Yeah. And I've never been called a star, so that's great. <laughs> so what's on your mind? Why did you want to do it this way? I just thought it'd be fun, you know, to interview the stars. I see. I see. So what questions would you have, say, for the stars if they ever show up? How do you get to the Hall of Fame? Practice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you start at eight in the morning, put in the two a days, three a days. It's necessary, Michael. Take care of that voice of yours. You know, bathe the voice. It's very important to bathe the voice. Yeah, got tea right here. I see that. And, and Cody's very raw in, in so many ways, but he's really raw. He, he doesn't bathe the voice. He's got to protect the assets, guys. Protect the assets. <laughs> Identify them and protect them. That's what it's all about. Don't they teach at Fordham how to speak from the diaphragm down low? Is that like a, a class? Or? You know what? I learned so many other things other than that at Fordham, <laughs> David. Nothing about the diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so uh michael so um all right so let's do it this way we're we're, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about media okay you know both of you obviously now michael's been in the media forever he started in radio did like 20 years or near 20 years in radio and now he's done 20 years on yes and so he's done radio and television david your career has spanned a little shorter you went from the playing field a great career to to the booth and now you've been in media in, in the booth like 20 years. It's a long time. And, you know, when you walked in, you were, a, you know, a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you were a rookie again. But now 20 years later, I mean, you're a seasoned vet and you've won Emmys and you've been involved in Emmy award-winning shows. And you've, you know, that you will now be on a, a Sunday night national platform. So you've, you've, you, you know, you've, you've conquered every, every obstacle <laughs> in front of you. You've built on every, every success that you've had. And uh, this is where you are right now. So it's a good place to be, but so it's, Let's start from the beginning. Just tell us briefly how you got into media at all. I mean, as a player, you get interviewed a lot, but was that enough to pique your interest? You know, actually, the, the truth of the matter is, is that like a lot of former players, you know, I was still thinking like a player and I wasn't looking forward, you know, to doing the next, the next best thing, which was broadcasting. And, um, you know, sometimes as a player, you're the last one to know. I thought I could still play. I actually caught a break because you asked me to come on with the Yes Network in the first year. And I was actually there at the very beginning of the Yes Network uh, when we were trying to get it on the air. Guys like Leo Hendry and, and uh, other executives with the Yes Network uh, lobbying city council, trying to get a breakthrough on getting, getting the, the log jam done, you know, with Comcast at the time, or certainly Cablevision. And so, so yeah, it was you. It was actually you, John Filippelli, that got me going. And then I couldn't get baseball out of my system. So I took a hiatus and tried to make a comeback with the Mets in 2003 and got the, got read the riot act by George Steinbrenner, the late great George Steinbrenner. And I went on probation for about five years before you could get me back on the air again. So it's really you, you're the answer uh, flip that twice. You got me back on the air. Well, actually three times you got me back on the air. Well, but there had to be a point before all that happened. There had to be somewhere in there where you entertain the idea of, you know what? This is pretty, I like this. I could be good at this. Uh, I'm going to do something. I have to do something when my playing days are over. 
you know, and, uh, financially, you, you made a really good living. It, that didn't seem to be an issue. So what were you going to do to take your you take up the, you know, the next you know, 40 years of your life? What career did you want to get into? If, you know, we all have to do, we all do something. Everybody gets into a career of some sorts. And you were sort of a natural. You had the gap. You related really well to people. You knew the subject matter. Um, I mean, when you have those gifts, it's, it's kind of a natural, natural leap, is it not? I think, it, yeah, it was a natural leap. And obviously I had thought about it and going back to childhood, you know, listening to the 1975 World Series and Joe Garagiola describing Louis Tiant was a big influence on me. They made it sound so glamorous, oh, so uh, exotic, the way they described the game, how much they loved the game. Tony Kubek, one of my favorite all time to listen to, the way he, he was so analytical and technical, but you know, still had that passion for the game. So. Certainly that, that was, it was in me, it was in my blood, but I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue about television. I, I still don't really understand the business behind the scenes as well as I probably should, but uh, certainly I, I have a lot more respect for everybody in the business, everybody in the truck, the production, the direction, the graphics, everybody behind the scenes, the cameramen, I understand now how professional they are and how important they are to the entire production team. Similarly, um, Michael had made a leap from writing to broadcasting. Um, now he's everywhere. Does, was that always in the cards for you, Michael, when you were writing? Was it always, hey, I, I really want to be on TV? Well, I mean, I wanted to be the Yankee announcer since I was nine. Uh, and then when I was in Fordham, you know, I sounded like the character from Welcome Back, Cotter, Vinny Barbarino. So I was told that if I want to get into broadcasting, although I was in the radio station at Fordham, I'd have to go to a small market somewhere in the Midwest and work my way back. And I, I just knew that that wasn't me. I wouldn't be able to do it. I have, I have the utmost respect for people that toil in the minors and finally get their break in the big leagues. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I wouldn't have been able to leave New York. So I felt the next best thing was to, to just be a writer uh, who covered the Yankees. So first I started with the post and then I went to the news, but, all the time, you guys all know me, I was scheming how I was going to get into broadcasting somehow. So I was always readily available to be the, the rain delay guest. Um, when MSG got the rights to the Yankee games, I pitched the idea of tomorrow's news today, where I was still a newspaper writer, but I went into the clubhouse and I would put the quotes um, from the players on the air that day rather than people waiting for it in the newspaper. And, and I believe that that's um, where I got the opportunity to, to work with John Sterling. Uh, you know, John and Joe Angel had worked a year together and I was very fortunate that they really hated each other's guts and they hated <laughs> each other's guts so much that Joe Angel just quit without another job. He quit the Yankees, didn't have another job and left. And that job was open and, um, I was one of, I've, I've heard 5,000 people that um, interviewed for the job. I, I didn't even ask to be interviewed. They asked if I would be interested because they'd heard me on MSG and they heard me obviously um, uh, on rain delays with John. And uh, somehow I got it. I did that for 10 years. And um, in the 10th year of doing radio, I had been like, I, I weighed like 260 or 270 pounds. I was like an offensive lineman, big fat neck. And I said, you know what? I got to get healthy and I got to lose weight. And I ended up losing like 65 pounds in like three months. And that was uh, at the end of the 2001 season. And I just remember I was sitting in the booth with John. My clothes were 
overwhelmingly big on me. And this guy walks into the booth and goes, you look a lot better thin on TV than you do fat. I know who keep that is. Weight, keep the weight off. I said, thanks. And he walked out and I said, who is that? And I later found out it was John J. Filippelli. And I did not know at the time that I was under consideration to be at least part of the Yes Network. I, I thought I'd be with John for the rest of my career and I would have been very, very happy. But um, John Filippelli kind of changed my life when he walked in and I kind of knew how he would be talking to me the rest of my life at that point. And uh, I ended up being part of the start startup for the Yes Network and I'm still here. Another classic flip is, oh, Michael, you look good for you. Right, I got that after that, but I did get, you look a lot better thin than you do fat on TV, keep the weight off. And I'd never met him in my life. I'd never met him. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm, so my takeaway from that one is the flipism and two, how could anyone hate John? Right? Well, you know, John, John is, because, I guess that's a tough question, Kevin. You know, <laughs> that's a loaded one. <laughs> I, I love John. I really do. And I know David loves him too, but he's, he's a little different. You know, he, he talks to himself during games, uh, gets very, very angry when the Yankees lose. Um, it's, it's a little bit distracting. And I think, you know, and Joe Angel was that John wants to do a broadcast where the two broadcasters are talking to each other and the listeners are kind of eavesdropping. And when Joe Angel sat down with him at the beginning of spring training of that first year and said, don't ever ask me a question on the air. Well, John knew that it wasn't going to work at that point because John's all about the conversation and they just, they didn't like each other. And uh, it worked out for me. I don't know where you're getting these stories from, Michael. I have no idea. No, you have I, no recollection? No, I really don't. I, I'm taking the 18th Amendment. You say you worry about the statute of limitations is, is over. Don't people take the fifth amendment? But you take the 18th, they could say I was drinking and I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember any of this, but um, I guess I teased a little bit, but uh, those are interesting days for sure. Um, interesting days for sure. So, um, all right, so that was your first thing. That's how you got into this. So this is how you both got into the business. All right, now you're in the business and you're in it. Oh, no. this is interesting. It's an interesting. This is an interesting question, because the business can be very savage sometimes. In that, sometimes you'll get an opportunity, but you really don't get direction. You got to get direction. You got to get some inkling as to what feedback, what you're doing. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it whatever? And that's obviously very subjective. Feedback's a very subjective thing. Okay, so you try to give the best feedback that you can. You try to be as subjective as you can in my position. And you hope that it works. And, and you hope that some of the feedback, like for instance, when I give, we used to give Paul O'Neill feedback. I have no idea where that feedback went. I mean, I have no idea where it went. It went to Paul somewhere. Somewhere it was bouncing around his head between those two ears, but I'm not really sure it ever landed anywhere. And it took a while for it to land, but once it landed, you know, Paul became a, has become a really good broadcaster, but it took him a while to get there. David was more of an immediate ascent. Michael, you, and since you had under, you came from radio, it was a different different line of work, but it wasn't it wasn't one that what the transition was so difficult for you. I mean, there is a transition for sure. There are things to learn, but it wasn't an impossible transition. So, so how do you get from point A to point B? In some cases, is a lot easier than than other cases, right? It depends on the situation. So the fact that you guys were able to do what you did, and actually in the time that you did it, was actually fairly remarkable. But I guess it helped to have five thousand baseball games in front of you. Well. You know, the, 
there was a, there was somebody that really helped me in my radio days. When I first started on the radio flip, I, I was very raw. You know, the only broadcasting I had done at Fordham. Uh, and then, you know, I was just myself on the MSG network with Al Troutwig. But um, I was really, I was struggling. And uh, this was before emails and social media. But, you know, they were getting letters that I wasn't very good. I wasn't being reviewed nicely by the people, the critics in the newspaper. And the guy who ran WABC radio, Don Belukas, called me into his office. And, he, and I, I thought I was going to get fired. This was maybe three weeks in, or three months in. And he said to me, he said, I just want you to know, he said, I signed you to a five-year contract. He said, and you're going to be here every single one of those years, as long as you don't give up on yourself. I believe in you. He goes, and I have, I have to have you believe in yourself. And that really loosened up the, the vice of pressure. And I, I'm a believer in, in the Malcolm Gladwell um, theory about if you get 10,000 hours of something, you're going to get better. So just the fact that he released that vice of pressure on me that I knew I was going to be there. You know, I just repetition makes you better. And then, you know, the transition over the TV, you know, just working with you hand in hand. I mean, it was a, a little known secret. The first time I was ever on the air, uh, we, we taped the, the center stage. We, we weren't even on the air yet. The Yes Network wasn't on the air yet. So we taped it before we went on the air with Steve Young. And I stood in, on, the, on, the, on the stage and the intro was on a teleprompter. I'd never read a teleprompter in my life. And then when I did the open in the spring training game, um, I had Kevin Smolin talking in my ear. I'd never had anybody speak in my ear. And I was, I was learning this at the highest level. At Not the in regional, it's regional sports network in the country. Uh, and, you know, you kind of held my hand and walked me through it. But just 10 years on Radio Flip, you know it. That's not preparing you for TV, other than the fact that you could talk ex extemporaneously, which is important, but all the like nooks and crannies of what TV's about, I had no idea. It was like you threw me into the deep end of the pool and said swim, although you, you helped me with some floaties, but for the most part, you said swim. Well, I'd say you look at it now 20 years later, uh, I think you swam. You know, I mean, you, you went upstream. I mean, not like Michael Mike Phelps. Phelps, like Mike Trout. Swimming. <laughs> you went upstream for sure. I mean, look at the, look at the twenty years. Look at the success. Look at the uh, the radio show that that, that uh, it spawned, uh, and the success you've had there. And now the the Sunday night um, um, Manning cast, if you will. Um, you know, you've got there's a lot going on in, in the world of, of Michael K. I uh, I went to a Jet game. Uh, you know, the, the, which God help me, uh, about a year ago, and uh, maybe it was two years ago. I guess because of COVID, so it's two years ago. And then 1050 had a, uh, the ESPN station had a promotion outside the park. And it was to meet Michael K, like a meet and greet, I suppose, and take a picture, something along those lines. And the line to, to get into this to see Michael looked like it was about two miles and went around the stadium like twice. So don't tell me about popularity and don't tell me that things don't go hand in hand because they do. Um, I mean, these are whole new careers and whole new avenues. I mean, David, when you were, I mean, I've, I've told you this story before. I mean, I never saw Phil Rizzuto play one inning, one inning of a baseball game, not one inning ever. I mean, he'd retired before, before I had cognition, I think. And so I, I don't have any recollection of him as a player, but I remember him, you know, obviously thousands of games that he did as a TV, as a TV, as a, uh, in a booth, because I mean, I watched them and I, that's what I grew up with. I grew up watching and listening to Phil Rizzuto, like many people did. There's a whole generation now that don't really know you as a player. 
they, 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 were, they were really young kids, you know, three years old, four years old, two years old, one years old, not born, whatever. 20 years does that. And now you've got a generation that is listening to you and taking your words and your, and your descriptions verbatim without, you know, not knowing really any of the, the genesis of your career or how you really got to where you got. So true, you know, and I get that a lot. Even some of the major league players, when I see that are born past the year 2000 now that are in the big leagues, you know, after they were born after the last year that I pitched. So yes, that, that really rings true. Um, and I appreciate it more now than ever before. And I know I'd heard you say that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, right. But yeah, I do. I, there's kids that come up to me and they, they know me more for broadcasting than pitching. And yeah, I used to pitch, you know, you got to go to YouTube or go to the Google, you know, Warner Wolf used to say, let's go to the videotape. Well, let's go to the Google now. And certainly uh, that's what I tell kids. Hey, yeah, look me up. I, I used to pitch. And uh, it, it, it's a tough adjustment um, when you still think like a ball player. You know, and in the back of my mind, I still think like a, a ball player. But being on the other side of the line, I understand more now than ever that, you know, in order to have credibility, even on the Yes Network, even though we're the Yankee broadcast, you have to tell the truth. And sometimes that ruffles feathers in the clubhouse. As Michael knows, as we all know now, that you can tell the truth. Sometimes uh, players are a little sensitive to it. So, uh, you know, that was the toughest adjustment for me, finding myself on the other side of the line, especially when I was such a player's advocate when I was a ball player. I was a player rep uh, during the strike of 94. I was an <laughs> American League rep for 10 years. So, yeah, I, I was as, as much of a player's advocate as any player could be. And now I'm on the other side of the fence. And, and uh, that, that's, uh, that's a hard thing to come to terms with as a former ball player. Flip mentioned the um, Manning casts, and, and we'll get into that. And congratulations are in order for both of you. Thank you. Um, before we do that real quick, I do have a question for both of you. First to David. Um, this popped in my mind as you were talking about playing both sides of the fence. I was a player and a broadcaster. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say you've been in the booth for some of the biggest moments in recent baseball history. Um, same with you've been on the field for some of the biggest moments in baseball history. How do the two compare as an athlete, right? You've, you've played the game and as a broadcaster, you've announced the game. What, what's the comparison there? You know, I would say that a lot of athletes, when they go through retirement, it's, it's almost like a death of sorts, your career, you know, and a lot of them really struggle in retirement. There's maybe not a lot of job skills. A lot of guys are one dimensional. They've dedicated their whole lives to one thing, being a good ball player. And then when you get out, there's a little bit of an anxiety that, that sets in. The only thing that's come close to giving me that kind of emotion and juice is during a big game and big moments and, you know, broadcasting next to Michael Kay and he called, makes a great call and, me learning how to anticipate the flow and stay out of his way and let him make that call and not talk over him like uh, like Howard Cosell did to Keith Jackson when Chris Chambliss hit the home run. He just walked all over him in the middle of a call. You know, learning the rhythm and timing of it and doing it well and then filling in the blanks and being a good teammate in the broadcast booth and working well with Michael gives me that juice again, gives me that excitement where I'm driving home after a game and, and I'm pumped. I, I got the, the similar feeling that I had when I pitched or when I had a big game or when the Yankees won or whatever team I was on had a nice game. So yeah, it really has morphed into that to where it's similar. It's the only thing I found post post playing career that gives me that kind of level of excitement, that level of juice. And, uh, you know, that's that's uh, something I'm most thankful for, because that's a hard thing to replace. You know, when you when you when you were when you were any an athlete in any sport and you retire and you're looking for something else, that's a hard thing. 
Is it? Do you feel, David, like that's an interesting description because I will tell you, even as a producer, when I produce games or you know, when I work with Billy Webb, a director, uh, the rush that you get. I mean, I, I used to do games and I'd go back to the hotel and maybe one of the World Series games or whatever, and I'd go back to the hotel and I'd be my wife. She'd say, How was it? How was everything? And I'd say, I don't really remember. I was so immersed in what I was doing. I remember the certain moments and I remember it took a, what it was taking out of me, but I don't really, I remember the rush and I remember, the, I do remember the rush. I remember how great it felt to get it right. And also how badly it felt when you didn't get it right. So it, I guess it's similar to was playing in that when you, you got a big hit or you made a big pitch, you know, you felt great about the world. And when you didn't make a great pitch or you didn't get a hit, you didn't feel nearly as good about the world. So you get, the, it, it, there's incredible highs, also some, some incredible lows and lasting lows, you know, in, in both fields, both fields. I mean, it's, it's different than taking an eraser when you make a mistake in erasing, you know, a line in a ledger. It's different. You, it's a different sort of sensibility we live with. So true. You know, I mean, you're putting yourself out there and you realize that if you miss a big play or if you say the wrong thing or you stumble, uh, that, you know, that, that it's out there and you can't get it back. So there's, there's a little bit of risk reward there. And I feel that, too. And that's part of the juice. I think you realize you understand that the uh, how important it is to to fans to to that, that remember this sort of a thing. History? Is it playing for history that makes you feel like that? Because what you say, your words are being, you know, are being obviously remembered in, on tape and, and the visual, there's other pictures and they're, they're up there forever. So you, you are, you are chronicling history. That's um, if you think about it like that, it, it certainly adds a level of pressure that you don't need. Uh, the way I try to uh, deal with it is that if there's a big moment and you know there's a big moment coming up like Jeter's last at bat or um, a no hitter or Jeter's um, 3,000th hit, Alex's 3,000th hit, I think you have a responsibility to them because that call is always going to be connected to them and that memory. And, you know, I, I actually thanked Jeter when he made the Hall of Fame. I said, thank you for letting me piggyback on your career just to be a small part of the soundtrack of it. And I, I just think you owe it to them to be prepared. You want to be prepared. You want to get the call right. And you can't mess it up because you mentioned this earlier, and it's not a small thing. This is a, a business of, um, of vipers and barracudas. I mean, there are people waiting for your job. This is a job that everybody wants, the job that David has, the job that I have. So they would revel in you making a mistake in a big moment. And then there's a public now that has a voice, thanks to social media, that will look to jump all over you. So you just you want to be able to nail those big moments. Uh, and I've been lucky. You know, when you're the broadcaster for the Yankees, you're going to have a heck of a lot of big moments to call. And, um, you know, I've, I've done an okay job calling them and, and I take pride in that. And I think there's a responsibility to the players that are involved that the connection to their name and to their moment is important and, and it's crisp and it's clean and, and it's, not, uh, it's not garbled or messed up. So uh, that, that's definitely the way I think about it going in. All right, we've danced around it a little bit. Um, I want to get to it. Big news broke. Uh, this past week, for those who don't know, Michael Kay and David Cohn will be part of ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball broadcast. So congratulations to both you guys. I want to start you. with um, Michael, because, Michael, yours is going to be a little unique. You're going to be um, on ESPN2 with Alex Rodriguez in bit of, um, am I fair? Is it fair to say like a Manning cast? 
You want to explain what's going on there? Well, I was told don't call it a Manning cast because the Manning ESPN, cast. All right. ESPN <laughs> has had a mega cast for a while, you know, college football and things like that. So they, they've certainly dabbled in it, but obviously it's going to be compared to the Manning cast, which is going to be difficult to live up to because it's been a, a social phenomenon and it's two guys that are extraordinarily well-liked, uh, really beloved. Uh, and they're two brothers. So that, that's, that's going to be a tough thing to be compared to, but I understand going in, that's exactly what it is. What this is going to be, and what I think my job is, my job one, uh, is to make Alex the Alex that I used to talk to at his locker, where this guy is a baseball savant. Uh, he, he knows more baseball than most anybody I've ever spoken to in my life and studies the game and loves the game and reveres the game and is a historian of the game, loves it. And sometimes I think that on the main Sunday night broadcast, Alex came off a little bit too polished and too practiced. You know, he had the stats, he had the things that he wanted to say. And what we're going to do, at least in the early infant planning stages, it's going to be the two of us sitting in the stands, and that's not going to be literal, talking about the game, joking about the game. I might not do one inning of play-by-play, -play, Kevin. You might not hear one C out of me. You're going to hear more of what I do on the radio and what I do on center stage than what I do on Yankee games because Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Perez, David Cohn, they're going to do the regular broadcast uh, on, on the mothership ESPN. Alex and I are going to have guests. Uh, it's going to be freewheeling. It's going to be rollicking. I want to puncture Alex's balloon just a little bit. And in, in my perfect world, and David lived this with me, it was a couple of years ago. The Yankees were in L.A. They were playing the Dodgers. And Alex Rodriguez, I believe, did five innings with me and David. And there was a moment in those five innings. I'm sure David remembers this as well. Somebody got hit with a pitch. And we looked up, and Alex has been hit by pitches more than most anybody in baseball history. And I said, Alex, you got hit X amount of times. Why do you think you got hit that much? And he said... Well, you know what? I dived over the plate a lot. Um, so pitchers, you know, the, the, the right way to pitch me would be to pitch me inside. And, and I got hit a lot because of that. And there was a beat that I let it just breathe. And I said, and also, I mean, people hate your guts. And he just like <laughs> completely burst out laughing. And it was the real reaction that you would get if you were busting your friend's chops. And if I could get that, that moment and just extrapolate it, over the eight to 10 games that we're going to do, I think it'll be a nice alternative to the Sunday night broadcast. And, you know, it's also going to depend on the guests that we get, you know, Peyton and Eli probably have a great Rolodex. I'm sure Alex does as well. Maybe we'll have fun guests. Maybe we'll be able to get Larry David. Maybe we'll get David Ortiz. If we do the Yankees and the Red Sox, stuff like that. I think that'll go a long way toward it as well. It's more, it's more or less going to be two guys riffing on a game and having friends drop by to talk about it and everybody's going to eavesdrop that that's that's the way i envision it have you embraced the k-rod name yet i came up with it oh you came up with it. you're the author yeah when i was um norby williamson of espn uh who offered me the gig said you know this is what we'd like to do what do you think and i said i i think it's great i i, I I'm, I'm all for it i said i even have the name for you and he said, what? I said, K-Rod. And he's a big Met fan, Norby. And he goes, 
I like it, but I don't. I said, why? He says, because it reminds me of K-Rod, the pitcher for the Mets, and he didn't have that much success. I said, well, if you could get over that, it's certainly a play on, on A-Rod. And if Alex doesn't mind that I get first billing, I think it's kind of a nice play on A-Rod. And then the release came out, and it was K-Rod, uh, Sunday Night Baseball with K-Rod. So that's exactly what they're going with, and it's actually what I came up with. I think I think he does mind. I'm sure he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we and that'll be one of the things I make fun of on the first broadcast we do. It's a lot to make fun of with Alex. He's got a big heart. <laughs> Alex has got a big heart, though. He really does. But, you know, you can tease him. Yes, yeah, so uh, K-Rod. Ability to tease him. If you're K-Rod, I'm trying to figure out what the booth is on ESPN. So I've been playing around. Like, Cone, Ravage, Perez. The best I have is Coach, Cone and Ravage, Coach, EZ, Perez, Coaches. It's the best awful. I got. That just sucks. Awful. That just sucks. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever heard. That is terrible. Who gave you that Coaches. stuff? That is awful. No. From the brain oh. of Kevin Sullivan. Oh my God! I'll you pass know, it along. I'll pass it along to to, to powers that be. Yes, we'll pass it along yeah. to TBS. See if they want. It's to gonna go it. nowhere. Um, David, you're you're doing color on uh, ESPN, filling the roles that former Yankees have had: Aaron Boone, Alex Rodriguez, like, as we talked about. Um, have you, or do you plan on speaking to either one of them about this role that you're filling? Yes, actually, you know, Aaron Boone reached out to me uh, right afterwards um, and congratulated me and, and offered, uh, he's, he's so, so generous that way, Aaron Boone, as, as we all know. Um, his personality is one of the best ever. So, yes, he's made himself available, and I do plan to take advantage of that and talk to him before the season. The same with uh, Alex, too. Uh, had a nice uh, talk with Alex Rodriguez about it. He invited me over to his house. We're going to talk about some of the things he went through, and, you know, in the production uh, aspect of, of Sunday night baseball and then certainly I'm going to talk to everybody I can and try to prepare for, for what I'm up against. Um, you know, I'm still going to be a, a, a big part of the yes network. I plan to do as many games as I can. Uh, you know, there's been reported that maybe, you know, I might cut my schedule in half or whatnot. I plan to, to do as many as I, as I, as I can fit in. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been contracted around 70 games for the, for the yes network. And it's, it's ebbed and flowed over the years, depending on, on the need. So uh, I still plan to, to do as many games as I can for the Yes Network. And, and obviously, I'm very excited about being in that seat on Sunday night. I mean, there's only so many seats in Major League Baseball that you can get that kind of forum or, or you know, that kind of national audience. And if you're not doing the World Series, then Sunday Night Baseball is a, a pretty good spot to be. Flip. Why, why do you guys think um, that this Sunday Night Baseball Maybe the incarnation in the early years of Miller and Morgan worked because of the two personalities. And it was two, it wasn't three or four, it was two. And two strong personalities and two personalities that worked well together. But outside of those years, Sunday Night Baseball has not really worked to the expectations of the people in Major League Baseball and to what people would look at as a national telecast. I'm not saying it's, it was, it's been bad. I'm just saying it didn't quite live up to what everybody needed it to be. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that was? Well, I think, Flip, that there's just an overabundance of baseball on television. So there's nothing special about the Saturday game of the week or the Sunday game of the week. I think that's a big deal. People are baseballed out. I mean, you could get every single game played by every single major league team easily. Uh, in the past, you know, when Kirk Gowdy and 
uh, was doing the NBC game of the week. That was it. I mean, that was a big deal. That was a huge deal. Um, and I think that at the beginning of Morgan and Miller, um, that was also still a big deal, but there's been such a proliferation of baseball. I, I think that you've, you've got, to, I mean, the addition of David in that booth, I think is going to go a long way. Cause I, I've said it over and over again. And I, I truly believe it. I'm not saying it because he's a friend and a teammate. I think he's the best analyst in all of sports. He's better than Tony Romo. He's better than John Smoltz because he, he somehow is able to fuse new school and old school. And I, I just don't think that many people are able to do that. He's funny. He's informative. I think he's going to really give that boost, uh, um, that, that booth a boost. And, um, you know, the Sunday night baseball mega casts aspect, it's going to give people a little bit of a, 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 another view, you know, if they don't want to do the play by, if they don't want to just hear the game being broken down and they want to hear talk and stuff like that. So I, I think ESPN is smart to, in the changes that they made and, and they're, they're trying to be different. And I think that's important. You have to be a little bit different because baseball needs to grow. Baseball broadcasting needs to grow simply because I think it's a regional sport now. I mean, all the regional networks get really great ratings, but all the national games, including the World Series, don't. And that's a problem. I don't know how it's going to be solved, but uh, people love their team. So when the Yankees play the Red Sox on Sunday Night Baseball, it's going to be huge ratings in New York, going to be huge ratings in Boston. What's it going to do in St. Louis? That's a problem that has to be solved by baseball and people smarter than me. That's a great take. That's a really, really strong take, Michael. Um, I happen to agree with pretty much everything you just said there. I really do. Uh, but, you know, the baseball lost lost a lot of people. Well, they lost people to strike. The, the, the labor dispute of 94 was very was was wrecked the game. It just did. I mean, it, and it took years to, for them to to recover in a, in a really strong, meaningful way. It really took it took McGuire and Sosa to bring it back and in, in, in the home run being the currency of the game, brought the game back. And then you know, the game is, you know, is, is ebbed and flowed since. But you do you lose the fact that there hasn't been a national audience for the game. And growing up, there was. You could put an all-star game on and we get a 15 rating. Yep. All-star game now gets a five. You know, it's like in the home run derby now outrates the, the all-star game. You know, maybe free agency, you know, the dilution of the, the, the competitive sense that used to exist between the two leagues. I mean, that, that all factors into this. But what really, really at the end of the day, it, the, you know, the the game has, you know, has some of the rule changes that needed to be made, haven't been made, some they're trying to implement now. The game is going through whatever they do now, whatever the situation is in, in their current, uh, you know, <coughs> excuse me, labor discussions. I think it's really important that whatever they do, they go in a room and they take every problem, every issue that they face, rule changes, everything, put it on the table and come up with a solution. So when they come out, they're out and, and, and it's done because I don't think the public has much of an appetite for for the what they're seeing in terms of ownership and even player players and owners who are arguing about dollars and then the world is in the shape that it's in. So, you know, I get the fact that it is what it is, but I also understand that, you know, you know, people, you know, people want what they want. They want the game, but they want it in a form that they can relate to. And sometimes it's hard to relate to dollars and cents that are just not in not in your way of thinking. And, and that's not the fault of the owners or the players, but, but failure to sit down and come up with a strategy that addresses all this and, and tries to make it palatable for the public is in the means of the players and the owners. And that's what they need to do. Flip, I don't want to get too far away from the Sunday night broadcast conversation without yeah. asking you a question, actually. Me? I know, yeah, you. I know we have two top shelf guests, but I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. When the national broadcast ESPN looks to fill its booth and they come to the yes booth they target two from the yes booth is that 
how great of a compliment is that? How flattering is that to you? They look to your booth to fill their holes. Well, it's flattering to the network. It's flattering to, to our network. It's flattering to, I mean, it's flattering. Yes, it is when your, your people or people that work with you are thought of in that light and they should be thought of in that light. I mean, we have the best people in the business in, in front of the lens and behind the lens. So it is flattering, but, but, but also then there's the challenge of trying to figure out when they need to re replace, how do you replace people? who have built themselves into that situation. So it's nice to be admired. It's nice that the people come to us for people, but then the challenge is what do we do to replace them if in fact we lose them in a significant way? We have not, we've lost David, but we haven't lost David in a significant way. David will be doing many games for yes. So that, that loss is negated. Michael will not be lost at all. Michael will be doing as many projects for yes as he did before. So there's no, there's no negation there. We're not losing you know, top people. We're just rearranging the furniture a little bit, but that, that's it. And if we could, you know, continue to just rearrange furniture and, you know, sort of lend lease some of our people, then that's okay because, you know, they deserve the opportunity to work at some other places and they deserve the national platforms as they exist because, you know, to just leave them in local, not to, not to yes, as a small area. New York is a huge market. New York, New Jersey, can I, we have a huge market, huge market, biggest in the country. New York is. So that is no small feat. But having said that, it's your national platform includes New York and other places. So, you know, it's to, to take your people and be able to have them seen on the widest possible platform is a compliment. And it's a great compliment to them because they've worked so hard to get to to be thought of as the as the elite. And, and, and our people are elite. They are. I would like to just chime in, Kevin, that, you know, I, I thought that Flip, uh, John Littner, and Randy Levine and the Yankees, and I'm sure that David will echo what I'm going to say, they were extraordinarily generous in, in giving ESPN permission to talk to us. I mean, I'm under contract, yes. It, it would have been a quick no if they wanted to, and they could have, and they didn't. And I think that that speaks volumes about, you know, how they treat the people that work for them. Uh, it is really a family at yes. And they, again, I even, I've said this on the air, I tweeted it out, they didn't have to say yes. They didn't. Randy didn't have to say yes. Littner didn't have to say yes. Filippelli didn't have to say yes. And they all did. And I will be forever grateful. Um, if the K-Rod cast is awful, I'll forever hate their guts for saying yes. But uh, it was very, very nice that they did. They didn't have to do that. Yeah, well said. I second that completely, uh, Michael. And it's dead on. Absolutely. I'm under contract as well. So it's certainly the opportunity to sit in that seat on Sunday night to a national audience is... Uh, a direct result, not only of them allowing it, but them developing me throughout the years. I, you know, John Filippelli is not only, not only gave me a chance and everybody at yes, Jared Boschnick, all the producers, the directors over the years that, that have helped, uh, that have helped me along the way and taught me how to do this job. So very thankful to everybody there. And it's also, it's also a testament to flip and, and Jared and everybody behind the scenes. It's not just me and David, it's, it's Ian Eagle. Sarah Kustak, it's Ryan Rucco, all of us getting shots nationally. You know, yes is really, really big. And people in our business watch yes. And if you do a good job on yes, you've got a chance to get one of these gigs. And I think that's a testament to the people that flip hired and, and developed. Don't you think as a manager, I'm a manager, don't you think that I have an obligation when people work for you for 20 years and do the kind of work that you've done, Michael, and that certainly David has done as well, 
and are looking to do something else, not leave, but, but, but just expand a little bit, try something different. Don't you think we have a responsibility to say yes for all the good work and all the hard effort you've given us through the years? Don't you think it's reciprocal? I don't know if it's a responsibility. I think, I, I think it speaks volumes about the people that you are. I mean, a lot of bosses just want to put the screws down and say, I'm the boss and just say no. Um, I, I think it's short-sighted, but obviously that's one thing that yes is not. They are not short-sighted. So yeah, it, it's, I think you're being reciprocal and that we've worked hard for you, but again, it's not something that you had to do. And uh, if you said no, I would, I, you know, I guess I would have had a little hissy fit for a day, but I would have understood. A month. No, you know me, probably a year. <laughs> <laughs> I think my, Michael said it best, right? So I'm 15 years here at Yes, and that's the word I would have used, family. It really is flip, and everybody else has cultivated this family atmosphere, which, which should not be overlooked. Um, quickly back over to David. Sunday Night Baseball isn't the only other thing you're doing. You're also busy with John Boy, right? With towing the slab. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, you know, I, I think Michael and I both were probably the first guys on air to mention John Boy on air. We noticed him on Yankee Twitter, a couple of Yankee fans on Twitter that uh, came to even before the big uh, bang the drum uh, Houston Astros story that John Boy was so uh, adept at kind of uncovering and going back and kind of using the microphones that Major League Baseball provides uh, and, and cut out the announcer sound and zero in on not only lip reading, but being able to hear things like somebody banging a trash can you know, in the Houston Astros dugout, that was a big deal for them. The Aaron Boone and Savages in the Box was a big deal for them, and they just kind of grew from there. Uh, they are an industry disruptor. Uh, I don't think anybody kind of knows what to do with them. You know, there's rights issues at stake here. John Filavelli knows that very well. Uh, you know, Major League Baseball knows that very well. Rob Manford, the commissioner, knows that very well. And what do we do with these guys? And, you know, I think the thing is, is that the underlying theme is to grow the game of baseball, especially with the younger demographic. And they really have done that. They've tapped into a younger demographic that is so valuable to major league baseball. So it's kind of the Netflix model. You know, are you going to worry about the password? Everybody stealing your password. Are you going to argue over the slice of the pie? Or are you going to grow the pie? And I think I, I applaud, you know, the yes network for, for uh, allowing me to do that, uh, for embracing them somewhat to try to find a solution to all of these issues and, and grow the pie. Let's grow this pie instead of arguing over the slice of the pie. And, you know, I, I think they earned it. They've earned it. They're great kids. They're, they, they understand what they're doing and they're growing uh, unbelievably well. If you look at the top hundred podcasts, they are well represented across the board. I think they have maybe 20 podcasts now. Several of them are ranked in the top hundred. Yeah, they're great. We're big fans of them here at the Yes Network. It for the reason you said, right? They have their finger on the pulse of digital media. Um, they're young. Um, that's a great de demo to have, a great demo to go after. Um, so yeah, we're big fans. Um, Michael, what he, John Flip said, wow, I just called you John Flip. Don't wow. ever do it again. That might be the first time I ever called you John. <laughs> the last two, no more. Flip said, we're not losing Michael, which is great. But what Michael has done, is added to his resume, and I've asked you this before, Michael. How, when, where do you sleep? Because you do everything from radio to TV to more TV. You know what? It, it, it's all I've ever known, so it's not like um, it's going to be weird. I mean, obviously, I'm older now, and I have children, so that's a big deal. But this this uh, mega cast on Sunday, 
to me, it's not real heavy lifting because I, I'm just, I do a radio show in a game every single day. So on a Sunday, I'm going to be doing the Yankee game in the afternoon if they're not on Sunday night baseball. And if it's a, it's a mega cast broadcast, um, I either go to my house, they're going to set up my house or go down to the South street seaport where ESPN has a presence and I'll do my thing there. Uh, to me, that that's, it's, it's not like, wow, what's he doing? So, and it's just eight to 10 broadcast a year. Um, it, it, I like to work, you know, that's, that's the way I was brought up. I, I just like to work. So it, and also I know this is so cliche when you're doing something that you really love, is it really that much work? I mean, it's not like I'm pulling cable, electrical cable for a living, which is what my dad did. So uh, I look at this and go, this is not a, it's not a bad way to make a buck. So true. We're making our living in sports, right? I mean, who would have, who would have thunk it? Sometimes you have to pinch yourself. I do that every day. Or other <laughs> On that note, Flip, <laughs> maybe we should land the plane. What do you think? What's that? I guess we should, we should thank you. We should thank our guests. So we, we were the guests, as a matter of fact. So we should thank ourselves, Kevin. It was you and I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we, thank you, David, so much uh, for being you and for being here. It, it matters to us, and and uh, our listeners love hearing from you. And uh, good luck on the, the Sunday night venture. It'll it'll be I know it'll be successful, and uh, uh, no small order due to your talents. So that's that's a great thing. And Michael, good luck uh, with with Alex on the, whatever they call this thing, K Rod or uh, the Manning Cast or whatever it becomes or whatever incarnation. Uh, it'll be fun, I'm sure, and it'll be a really good listen. So uh, it's worth, I'm sure it'll be worth uh, listening to and putting in your Sunday night repertoire. So thank, thank you both. You. Thanks, guys. Pleasure.